The following is presented by Lanier Technical College, Concept One Pulley Systems, and Year One Classic Muscle Car Restoration Parts. Hit it! Hang on, you're now part of the fastest podcast on the planet, Bud's Garage Overdrive. Produced in the studios of Jacobs Media, located in beautiful downtown Gainesville, Georgia. On today's show, Rocketman is reducing his car prices, and we revisit Evil Knievel's most famous stunts and get on Joe's magic bus. And part two of our interview with Kevin King, president of Year One. All that and a whole bunch more informative automotive buffoonery right now with Bud and Tim. Let's kick it in overdrive. Welcome in, folks. This is Bud Hughes, resident car nut, and Tim DePasquale, upholstered to the stars. Tim, how you doing? Today? I'm fine, Bud. How are you today? Uh, You're kind of wind up. Well, we wound up. I'm wound up. up. I'm, I'm winded up. Yeah. I'm winding up because we were singing songs before we started. Uh-huh. It's terrible when you just come out with a phrase of words and, you know, the three of us nuts break into a song. Yeah, that's tough. But now we know who really did one, two, three, mm-hmm. Bill. Among others. Among others, yeah. Among others, right. Who was it? Lewberry? Lenberry? Lenberry. Lenberry. Yeah, okay. One, two, okay. three. <laughs> that's so elementary. All right, let's go. Uh, what am I doing here? What were, you, what were you doing this past week, Tim? Mowing. Mowing. <laughs> when you called me, I was mowing. You were mowing. Yeah. Mowing, 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 mowing. mowing. I love mowing. mowing. Well, that's good. It's a good yes. thing to do. Right. When you do, you have any? Do you have any greenery left on your place? Oh yeah, it every grows time I fast. call you, you got. I know. It's just every time I mow it, it keeps growing. Keep... Well, I have a rotation. You know, oh, I see. That I, I mow this pasture, then next weekend that pasture, then, you oh, know, okay. back and forth and okay. so forth. Yeah, as long you know. it keeps you off the street and out of trouble. Right. We need some more goats. Uh, I'm running out of Mustang parts. Oh, good. That's yeah. a good sign. I am running out of parts. Well, do you start getting fired up when you see it starting oh, yeah. to come oh, yeah. together? Yeah. That it's, is such it's starting a, to look like a car now. That's so exciting. Got the door panels on. You know, mm-hmm. the windows go up and down. Oh, shoot. All that stuff, yeah. it's Wow. It doesn't, you know, for a while it's just like a Hulk. You know, the last thing going in is the glass and the door panels and stuff. So, right. you know, it always looks unfinished no matter what. Mm-hmm. But you put that trim on there. And you gave me a great tip on that, putting that trim on. Yeah. Uh, there's no way in the world you can do that with staples. We're going to talk about that a little bit later in the show. Okay. About, you know, the reality the, of, of right. replacement parts. And, right. Throw and, those instructions away. Yeah, throw <laughs> the instructions away, along with the receipts. Yeah. Right. Well, the, the receipts for what you've spent on the car. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 right. I'm getting this car done just in time for the guy to be able to use the receipts to start, you know, outdoor bonfires and uh. stuff. So. <laughs> Rocket Man. We're going to talk about a, a couple Rocket Mans on the show today. Rocket Man, I guess it would be. Rocket today. Mans. Rocket Mans. Uh, <laughs> I never understood what what Elton said after he said Rocket Man, but and you know the the yeah. in the in the song yeah 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 it's one of those things where you can't understand mm-hmm. what the words are. We'll look that up later on, Bill. Okay. You're that, Bill, that's your homework you assignment. Uh, but Rocket Man, as we know him, uh, Elon Musk, Elon Musk. Oh, Elon Musk! I thought you were talking about Kim Jong Il. No, 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 that was Donald Trump's Rocket Man. <laughs> oh, okay. No, no, this. No, I was talking about Elon Musk. Anybody that can land those boosters. Oh, yeah. You know, all the ones that NASA dumped in the ocean, mm-hmm. he lands them every time he, he right. launches a rocket. Uh, it's pretty amazing. But he's reducing the price of his cars. You want to explain this to us, please? Um, yeah, well, they're making the battery smaller. Oh, so it's reducing the range of the Yeah, cars? it's going to reduce the range by about 100 miles, and that's going to reduce the price about $10,000. Huh, okay. Yeah. On the Model X and the Model Y. Uh, if so, I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's it's the S. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's, no, it's the Y too. No, it's the S and the X. Oh, the S and the X. That's right. A, B, C, one, two, three. Never mind. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> Seventy-eight thousand for the Model S and eighty-eight thousand four ninety for the Model X. Yeah, well, I mean, if you got that kind of money, why not just get all the range that you can get? You know, because can you imagine the nagging you're going to get from your wife if you run out of electricity <laughs> because you were too cheap to spend an extra $10,000. You paid $78,000 for the car. You could now look, now we're walking with a gas can. No, no, with a battery cable. 
<laughs> no, you can't. Uh, extension cord. You can't. You can't take like a dead battery and you know no. fill it up and drag it back. Right. That, that's there's probably a Polish joke in that somewhere, but <laughs> but we'll we'll let that go. No, but did you? There was a video out there of someone with a Tesla that ran out of. They were looking for someone to give them a can of gas because they had a uh, what? they had a generator in the trunk of the Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> now I saw the guy that had the the generator mounted in his truck, and he was he was giving somebody a, a okay, yeah, charge yeah, yeah. That's going to be a big muscle. thing. Yeah, it might be. Yeah, he was burning up his fuse out there alone. Mm. What's that now? It's the lyric. What What was the lyric now? Rocket Man burning out his fuse up here alone. Oh, burning out his fuse up burning here alone. Up his fuse up here alone. Yeah. Okay. You All right. I the rest it, of yeah. the song. <laughs> I think it's going to be a long, long time. It's going to be a long, long 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 day the way we're going here. All right. Uh, Whatever is driving your future, or Mm. whatever is in your driving future, be it Tesla or everything else, uh, the EVs are becoming a very weighty issue, right? Yeah, no kidding. And I'm thinking that the internal combustion engines would be at a, uh, vehicles would be at a a tremendous uh, advantage if you didn't factor in the weights. Right. Know what I'm saying? You got a, you got an F one fifty that's got a gas engine in it, um, you know, and it was fifty seven hundred pounds. Mm. So they went to an aluminum body and it took it down to five thousand pounds. Right, we we're going in the right direction. Yeah. And then yeah. they came out with the Lightning, which has a battery in it mm-hmm. and is not an internal combustion engine, and it's sixty eight hundred pounds. Ooh, that's a little hefty. So it's almost two thousand pounds more than a gasoline powered F one fifty. Getting a little chunky there, F one fifty. Well, yeah. If you think that is the Hummer is nine thousand pounds, oh. the civilian version. Really. The H one when it first came out with the diesel engine and it was sixty eight hundred pounds. Nine thousand. Nine thousand pounds. pounds. Twenty eight hundred pounds of that vehicle is, is battery, battery, which is what a Chevy Cruze weighs. Wow. So. You know, everything from the brakes to the tires to the suspension has to be bigger, and you're dragging all this weight around with you. And mark my words, I'm going to have my insurance agent come in here and explain what's going to happen down the line. Oh, yeah. When you got 9,000-pound vehicles running into mm. 5,000-pound vehicles. Right. And you don't realize it's so big and it's so heavy because it's so torquey and it's so powerful. Yeah. You know, when you're driving it. And it, uh, I, I don't know where it's, it's going to yeah. take us. Crazy. But it's, uh, you know. It's going to be reinforcing some bridges. Bridges, parking decks, and mm-hmm. everything else. All right. Now, Tim, you and I often do, you at the upholstery shop or in your building exploits or your tractoring or, mm-hmm. you know, stuff out in our shop, we often do engineering. Back, oh, yes. Backyard oh, engineering. Absolutely. Uh this is not the same. I'm going to talk about a program at Linear Technical College, okay. which is actually an engineering technology program. Oh. Where you can get your feet wet mm-hmm. in the engineering careers. Right. Uh, be it mechanical, electrical, um, you know, how, how the technology applies to industrial engineering, electrical engineering, mechanical engineering. You think that would help us? It's an overall view of things. No, mm-hmm. I, I don't think we'd last 10 minutes in the class. As soon as I got to the math portion, I'd be, oh, yeah. I'd be out of there. But that's not what this is about. No. This is about applying engineering techniques to on-the-job work sites. Mm -hmm. So they give you a well-rounded, if you will, look at what engineering actually involves in the building industry, the, uh, you know, plant uh, operations industry. Yep. Um, you know, out in the real world. Right. So it stresses laboratory stuff because you not need to know how certain things work and how different tools work. Oh, yeah. Uh, but a lot of it is, is uh, you know, combined with some opportunities here in the community or whatever community you're in mm-hmm. uh, that can be applied. And you can further your, your you know, your, your uh, education by going on and getting more training. Yeah. But this gives you this is this is a cool thing about technical schools. They give you a chance to explore topics and mm-hmm. careers before you sign up for four years of it. Right. right and right. Uh, you know, you can get an engineering technology degree, you can get a certificate in engineering technology basics, which would allow you to go to work for a company and do some OJT mm-hmm. and uh engineering technology fundamental certificates. So these are these are places where you can go and maybe go to a construction place or somebody that's a manufacturer and say, look, I know a little bit about the engineering. Could I get into 
your program, right. what else do I need? And, uh, you know, you can get this at Lanier Technical College. Again, we got to stress this is something you can put in your back pocket and take it to anywhere in the country. Absolutely. Uh, you can reach out to Jody Brookshire or John Dunbar or just go to LanierTech.edu, mm-hmm. click on Engineering Technolo- Technology Program, and find out what's going on because uh, very few things happen nowadays without an engineer. Yeah, you got that right. Yeah. Lanier Technical College, uh, five locations here in Georgia, um, and they, they welcome folks from out of state, out of country, whatever it may be. They have all sorts of uh, financial programs for you. And, of course, if you live here in Georgia, you've got the Hope Grant, the Hope Scholarship, and that all applies, right. and many other things. Check them out, LanierTech.edu or something like that. This is more like Houston. We have a problem when we do it yeah, this way. Yeah, yeah. All right, here we go. Well, Tim, you know what was going on September 8th, 1974? No. You know what you were doing on that? At, at that particular stage in your life? I was working the afternoon shift at Weirton Steel. Really? Yeah. Okay, in where? West Virginia? Weirton, West Virginia. Really? Yeah. I was working in a garage called Weinhardt's Garage in Dalton, New York. Wow. Pumping gas, uh-huh. building engines, changing yeah. oil, whatever, whatever we needed to do. But our next guest knows exactly where he was and exactly what he was doing, uh, as do a lot of people if they Google that particular date. Mm-hmm. That would be Marvin Matson from Jim Shorkey, Cadillac Mazda. Marvin, welcome back into Bud's Garage. Hey, thank you, Bud. If I get that Glad right, is it back. Mazda, Cadillac, Cadillac, Cadillac Mazda? Cadillac Mazda. And either way. Either way. This is the only guy, the only salesman that I've ever bought a car from it calls me back and says, wait a minute, I owe you $800 more. What? Yeah. Yeah. That's unheard of. Yeah, it's, yeah. That's right. We got some extra incentive money and yeah. he called couldn't me back keep and it, so I passed it back along to Bud. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Uh, all right. The reason I've got you here today <laughs> is because on uh, September 8th, 1974, Evil Knievel was jumping the 1,600-foot-wide Snake River Canyon with a steam-powered rocket, and guess who was there? I was there, bud. You were there. Why were you there? How did you get there? You Were you a big Evil Knievel fan, or you just kind of stumbled we're, upon it? Or we were an Evil Knievel fan, and we heard it was coming, and we just, me and my roommates decided to drive from Detroit to uh, out to California, so on the way we stopped in Snake River, Twin Falls, Idaho, and watched Evil make that jump. Wow. Wow, that must have been really something. Oh, it was. And he did clear the canyon. Yeah, his, you can see that one from the replays. Yeah. yeah, he cleared the canyon. His chute came out too soon, and he drifted back across the canyon into the rocks on the same side. He actually cleared the canyon fighting the chute because the chute came out as he launched. Yes, yeah. So he, he was going however many miles an hour and dragging the chute with him. He, you can see there's three or four different versions of the film, but the one that they show where the helicopter's over the top of the canyon, he clears the canyon completely. And at that point, I'd be just thanking my lucky stars, and then the wind catches his chute and, and drags him back over him back. the canyon over the water. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Onto the rocks below. Yeah. Wow. So he landed on the rocks. He landed on the rocks. probably a good thing. Yeah. He just missed the water because... Who knows if they could have got him out in time if he went down yeah, like he, the yeah, river. Yeah, they would have filled the Snake that. River, yeah. yeah, would have filled that thing up instantly, yeah. you would think. How, how many people were there? Oh, yes. I'm going to say 30,000 maybe. Wow. There was like three different sections. We sat on the, uh, we were on the property just to the left of the jump site, so we got a great angle of seeing them go off and over. Did they have bleachers set up or anything? No. No, no it was, it was just, just, just sitting in the field or sitting uh-huh. in the field. So the, what did you see? I saw a lot of people. I saw the Hells Angels out there. Oh. And, and we saw Evil make the jump. And uh, fortunately, we saw it. There's big crevasses in the mountainside right there. And these guys next to us rented a motorhome from Pennsylvania, and they were down in the rocks and they missed it so they drove so they drove way. down in the down into the crevasses yeah, they, they cl- climbed down into oh they them. climbed down in yeah 
How yeah. t- how tall was the? Uh, he had a, an earth ramp, and then on top of that, he had this steel. Yeah, it, ramp. Was, it was probably a couple hundred feet um, down to the base of the river. Wow. And they didn't, you know, they didn't have all the computers and stuff to figure out the tra- trajectory and all those things. Uh, I saw some of the drawings. It was kind of like you and me trying to figure out how to yeah. do a Dukes of Hazard <laughs> jump or oh, something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, no computers and, uh, uh-huh. you know, no cell phones or anything like that wow. back in those days. So he just looked it over and said, yeah, I can make it. Well, <laughs> I don't know. But it was pretty, the rocket was pretty rudimentary. I mean, it was... Yeah. Nothing fancy about it, for sure. Had an open cockpit, even. Was did it come in a crate marked Acme? No, I, I didn't. I didn't think to check. Did it, was there an Acme crate anywhere? I don't think on, so. On site? I, I didn't see it. How close to the site could you get, Marvin? Um, you could actually buy tickets to get right next to it, right into with it where he was at. Really? Yeah. And I think they wanted like forty bucks a piece to get in there. We ended up going on the guy's property next to it. Right. He was charging like 10 bucks. So, you know, back in the day, that was a lot of money. Oh, yeah, right, right. 40 bucks to stand next to a rocket being launched. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. How many beers you got to have in your career? <laughs> right. Well, if I did that, I'd have spent my 40 bucks. <laughs> did you Did you see, now I know ABC covered it. Did you see Jim McKay and Jules Berg? You know, Jules was a science editor whenever they did the space launches and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I didn't I didn't see them. I didn't see them. And they do some pretty good interviews, uh, you know, the day after and yeah. the day of. Uh, I know Jules climbed right up on the thing and had the mic shoved in the, you know, in evil's faces and, and asking him how he felt and you know at that point in time i'd be smacking people around <laughs> so did you know that on september 16th 2016 need i ask you what you were doing that day tim um no i don't remember <laughs> well neither do i but hollywood stuntman eddie braun recreated the jump and, uh, you know, as a tribute to Evil Knievel, he met Evil when he was 10 years old, when Braun was 10 years old, okay. uh, Eddie. And uh, he did it, and the only difference between his rocket and Evil's was his had a full canopy. And he did it in one fell swoop. You know, everything worked as it should, and mm-hmm. he cleared the canyon, the chute opened, he said the landing was a little rough, because... <laughs> You know, it, it, it came in nose down. It oh, was on, yeah. It was on a shoot, but he knew he was going to hit nose first. And uh, he said it, you know, luckily he didn't break his legs when it landed. Yeah, it makes you wonder <laughs> what goes through the minds of guys that do this kind of stuff. Well, we used to, you know, I lived up in Buffalo, and you had people going over the falls all the time, Niagara Falls and barrels and things. you got to wonder. Yeah, you got to wonder. <laughs> uh, yeah. Interesting stuff. Anyway, Marvin, we're going to have you on the podcast because... Uh, you know, as you and I sat and visited before we, you know, got a chance to talk about this, uh, you got a whole bunch of car stories, and oh, yeah. uh, you know, you got a you got a little spare time on your hands. We're going to get you in here, and and you can tell us about uh, the early days of working in uh, Dad's dealership, and yeah, some of the sure. muscle cars and stuff you used to see, and you know, we we were we were talking during lunch about the ones that got away. Oh yeah, uh, and the right. millions that they're worth now. Uh-huh. Uh, anyway, good stuff. Thanks for stopping in and, hey, and doing this with always us. Always a pleasure to be in Bud's Garage. Oh. <laughs> See? You like that, See? huh? Well, anytime we're talking about classic car restoration, we're always talking about year one. Oh, yeah. Classic car restoration people. Mm-hmm. They've got a deal going on right now. If you're a Chevrolet guy and yeah. you, you want a crate engine, mm-hmm. you know, you want decent horsepower, right. you want a one-year or a two-year unlimited mileage warranty, you can get an engine from... Year one. And they have two different versions. They have a version that's got aluminum heads on it. It's called a AT305 PC1. Uh, you can go to their website and see what that's all about. But it's a 494993. It's got specific heads on it, Edelbrock aluminum intake manifold. Or you could go to the uh, Power Crate 400 horsepower 350 engine. Or you can go to the 400 horsepower crate engine 350 with cast iron heads on it. So these are all. 350. These, base, are, these base. are both 350 engines, mm-hmm. and they are. And they use seasoned blocks. They're dyno tested, and they got the good harmonic balancers and stuff on them. Yeah. And uh, like I say, you can go to year one and spec these engines out. They come with a dyno sheet and a warranty. 
Wow. And you cannot beat that. No, that's a great price. Okay. Just go to their website, year one, and get their, their monthly blast that they come out with. And they, they do they do two or three a week. Mm-hmm. And they have so many things that are, you know, eligible for discounts. You mentioned Bud 20. Right. And uh, you can get a discount on discountable items. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they can get you going down the highway. So you, you can take the engine. Let's say you've got a small block Chevy hot rod and... Uh, you know, you want to save that specific 327, 350 horse, you yeah. know, but you want to drive the thing every day. Get one of these engines, you know. Right. For the money, 4200 for the iron head one, 49 for the uh, aluminum head one. That's a bargain. It says bargain, and then I got a suggestion a little later on in the show to hook up with these engines. And, uh, okay. But for now, check them out at yearone.com, uh, your classic car restoration folks. All right. So last week, Tim, we we did part one of this interview with Kevin King and Pat Staten from uh, Year One, right? And we we knew we, we knew when we got started, it was a bunch of car guys sitting around talking about oh, cars. Yeah. We knew we were never going to get it in to one podcast. Mm-hmm. So we're going to move on to the second part of the interview right now. Okay, with Kevin King and Pat Staten from Year One, the Muscle Car Restoration folks. The car building, when did that start? Because um, you have well, quite a collection of, of you know, cars yeah, now. Yeah, we, we sort of always tinkered with the cars. Like Pat said, you kind of went to work there. Most everybody had a car. So when you when you pulled in the parking lot, you'd see, you know, cars. And then a lot of times they got worked on in the parking lot or some people would take stuff home. But when we took over the business in 97, we started this little line called The Next Generation. It was kind of poignant because Lynn was retiring and I was taking over. And it was actually uh, someone else's idea. A guy named Dennis Roberts had suggested we come up with something called The Next Generation. And um, so we did. And it was a uh, late model. Uh, Third nine, gen 92 F-bodies. and up Camaro Firebird. or, or uh, yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. And... Um, so we started that, and we kind of opened a shop at the same time and started building cars. And, you know, we we tinkered with that a little bit. Phil Brewer was an outstanding uh, graphics designer and helped uh, ran the printing or the graphics, graphics department. And uh, Keith Manny worked with us in, in the marketing department with Pat, and he was an outstanding writer and was a guest on... Stan Reardon show and I called Keith the, the one take wonder because oh, nine yeah. times out of ten he could just walk right into a TV thing and say here's yeah. what we're going to talk about and he do was one awesome. take later and and here we go and American Muscle Car Stan Reardon yeah. who produced that uh, yeah. was really kind of instrumental in that and was uh, one of our first big TV yeah. involvements because uh, we'd actually go into our database and find cars that he wanted to tell a story about right. And to this day, his show is still, I think, one of the neatest shows because it takes you through the history of one particular car or brand or something. So right. like how the 67 Firebird and Camaro started, and he'd take you from there till whenever that show was being run. So he'd take you through all the years of the different cars and what kind of came about as those cars were being built and whatnot and uh, stuff. So that's kind of how that, that came. And, and it, again, it was just such a... a a pool of incredibly talented people and they they deserve all the credit i mean it's it's not a it's never been a, a me thing it's always been a we thing and we we just uh, sometimes are forced to make the bad choices or or hard decisions and you know but it's never been done without the understanding is from as as holistic a perspective as we could have trying to do what's right by everybody internally and externally all of our customers and and sometimes you know making these kinds of decisions to do the shows and all you know it's things we had to think long and hard of because you know maybe you're going to get some notoriety but is it going to sell more parts because at the end of the day we don't want notoriety we want to sell more parts so i, I wasn't looking to be never have been um a tv person or anything i, I don't like being told what i have to say and how i'm going to say it and sure when you're going to come in and you know, and there's uh, networks always want to kind of control you like that, and I'm just I'm just not interested in that. And it, it takes forever. We used to yeah. do some commercials at uh, when I was teaching at the technical college for some different some different people that were you know car folks, and it takes forever to put together you know a television show or a commercial 
in in when you're used to you know building cars and doing mm-hmm. things and and seeing you know putting your hands on it and making it happen right there's so many decisions going on it just drives you crazy yeah it really you? does well kevin i'd also say too that that your one's always been about and has portrayed that what do we like to do because we're enthusiasts and we're hobbyists and how can we do that and then also bring more people into experiencing that so whether it's going to the hot rod uh, magazine power tour which we did for 14 plus years every year uh, and other events and shows and then i remember we had lots of conversations said like well what can we do besides just sitting here watching the wax dry on our car at a car show so how do we then begin to make it more fun so there's this big gap between going around a racetrack and sitting in the parking lot so thus now you have autocross you have track days so you have a lot of things that are involved to where remember when we used to go to the drag strip after our car show and those guys say i've never been to the drag strip but they would never go on the test and tune friday nights let's say atlanta dragway but they would go up with all their other peers that were there in the park lot on saturday night we'd all get together and we'd go up to atlanta dragway and do a little test and tune and they go like Oh my gosh, this is the greatest thing in the world. Yeah, absolutely. And then the guy on the start line goes, Hey man, you got to turn your air conditioner off because I can't have that water dripping on the track. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, <laughs> it, 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 it was about experiencing that, and so many people wanted to do that, but they weren't comfortable or with the right group to mm-hmm. actually go and experience that. So I think through the years, we've narrowed that down, and a lot more people do a lot more things with their classic muscle cars that they weren't doing before because of hanging out with you guys right yeah we called it the year one experience and we named a show after that uh, incidentally years later and it's it sort of was you know buy your parts fix your car come meet us hit the road with us sit in the parking lot bench race with us talk about your dad talk about where the car came from why it means so much to you all the things that matter what builds the passion and, you know, and we want you to feel like you're part of something. And that's all we ever wanted, too. We didn't want to just be a company that sold you parts. We wanted you to know that we're really vested in you and we appreciate you and we want to, we, we are just like you. We're doing right. the same thing right. with our cars. We have talked on, on the radio show about some of the shows that are on television now, the, the car shows. Mm-hmm. didn't always used to be like that. There wasn't networks that were all car shows. What was the the first the first show for year one to get involved with? Because I can only think of, of one car show that you know was the first car show, and I'm curious as to you know how how did how did you pick that show? Well, let me go back just a little bit. You talked earlier kind of how we got into the television and mm-hmm. the movies yeah. and so on. Well, it really kind of started with the magazines because as the magazines grew and you got more and more titles. I mean, I want to say it was 36 different magazines at right. one time yeah. that we yeah. advertised in. And you had all these people, that the, the editors and and the publishers of those different magazines. And back then, you, you interacted with them. You, you saw them face-to-face. You saw them at shows. You saw them at the SEMA uh, convention every year in Las Vegas. Uh, the PRR show was in uh, Indianapolis for many years, and I think it's back there now. So you had this relationship with these people. And as things grew and technology grew and so on, those guys began to get pulled into the TV show. So it was just kind of a natural progression that happened to get into the TV shows. But I want to say probably one of the first ones was American Muscle Car that we mm-hmm. talked about with Stan Reardon. Yeah. And we filmed it at, at a public park right off of uh, Georgia 400 over there in Roswell. And I think we did it on Chevelle's. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had Joe George, which was a great customer uh I can't tell you how many times he was the president of the Chevelle Club here in, in Atlanta. but uh, And yeah, how so often we, they brought us key lime cake. Well, yeah, yeah, that was his <laughs> wife's specialty. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> That's the good stuff. And, and, you know, if she's happy and having fun at a car show, you're doing something right. Because yeah, he's having fun, too. Right. <laughs> Which, as Kevin mentioned earlier, some of the bigger shows we did, we even had shuttle buses that yeah. uh, would take people to the mall. So the guy could be more comfortable because he knew his wife or his kids We're had get, something have, to do or, or whatnot thing. and stuff like that. So that was what was, was so neat and fun in my memories is we got to try to plan and do something for everybody that could potentially come t- right. to a car show. And, and do something for those that might prohibit them from coming, i.e. their spouses. 
if they don't like going to car shows, we tried to do things to involve uh, them to yeah. be able to go and do other things and their children as well. Always had play areas and things like that so that there was no reason not to come. Yeah. It's like a carnival. There just happens to be a bunch of cool cars. Yeah. Well, that, you know, that's, that's the whole, the whole point. Right. Now, Tim has done a lot of cars for movies, the, the interiors in the cars. I don't know. You folks have gotten into a lot of the movie stuff too. How, how does that transpire from, you know, your day to day operation to being in Fast and Furious and all, you know, being involved with all those people? Well, the, the coolest thing about it is we're, we're equipped to handle it just through the normal day-to-day business. Mm-hmm. The, it doesn't go down that way necessarily, but in other words, we pull and ship parts, we buy parts, we procure parts, we get them shipped quick, and they're normally accurate. So um, Pat has to sometimes babysit these orders because they can be pretty significant, and they may be building like in the FF2 French, the, the second movie of the Fast and Furious, there were like 10 Challengers and 17 Camaros or something like that. So it wasn't like we need one each of these. It was more like we need 10 of these, 10 of these, 10 of these, 10 of these, 15 of these, 17 of these. And so it's a little bit different when you suddenly are telling a vendor you need, you know, 20 quarter panels in three days and you got to get them to this location. And so Pat has to coordinate a lot of that and that takes a lot of patience and effort. But otherwise, um, how it happened is just like he said, you, you meet people through magazines and you meet people through the TV shows and you have the same type guys that do production, know somebody in a movie and then it's hearsay. And more times than not, transportation coordinators in Hollywood are car enthusiasts and they were our age. Oh, okay. And so they like muscle cars. Yeah, sure. So they would rather see muscle cars featured in the movies than anything. Yeah, Kevin, I can remember we were there in Braselton, and the front desk called and said, hey, I've got a guy by the name of Ted Moser with mm-hmm. Picture Car Warehouse on the phone. Can you talk to him? That's how we got into the Too right. Fast, Too Furious series with uh, Ted Moser and Picture Car Warehouse. And mm-hmm. he called and said, hey, I need a lot of parts quick. <laughs> yeah. okay. That was always, we need it by tomorrow. Oh, yeah. 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 It never fails. I, I can remember one guy needed eight sets of wheels for for a, a movie car and got him. He goes, yeah, I like them, but now the producer wants them in chrome instead of matte black or something like that. Or what? Can you send me another eight tomorrow? <laughs> well, you know, that's it's that's the way it is. And then then it takes forever to take to make the shot. Yeah. You right. know, we're talking about they got to have it immediately. Or it never shows up yeah. at all. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's I true. I mean, that's the other thing. It's you go through. I mean, just hours and hours and hours only to find out, you know what? You saw that wheel for a nanosecond. It, mm-hmm. it made no difference whatsoever. Right. Kevin, right. you were actually down on set of the Too Fast, Too Furious with the uh, orange oh, yeah. Challenger and the blue Camaro and mm-hmm. down there for weeks, and I, I'm sure you saw a lot of that. Oh, the the... I don't. I never like to call it waste because it sounds like you're you're giving them a black eye because obviously movie people know what they're doing. I mean, they they pull it off, but it does seem that there's a you know they have to do so much gathering of stuff in order to turn things fast that the the potential for acquiring too much is always there, mm-hmm. and they do, and so the budgets are huge. And that's why, because there is no, you know, we'll just order it and wait two days. Well, that means that everybody's waiting two days and everything's being held up for whatever reason. If you do that for every department, then nothing's getting done. So it takes a lot of huge amount of planning. Here's here's our uh, signature of our investment into being enthusiasts is after the two Fast and Furious, we ended up with one of the Camaros, Mm -hmm. one of the Challengers. We have one of their trucks. <laughs> right. Gifts. So, uh, yeah. You know, and that happens a lot. The, the um, you know, Lynn actually uh, bought me a truck, and uh, Ted gave me a Challenger, which was very kind of him. And the Camaro was a funny story. The, the blue Camaro that lands on the boat. At the I, end. I had gone down to uh, and made, became friends with Paul Walker. And, um, you know, he kept saying, you ought to build me a car, you ought to build me a car. And I'm like, hey, well, you ought to send me some money, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> so I was like, well, you know, we'll talk about that. But anyway, so I, I showed up in Miami in my Camaro, which was probably 
arguably uh, one of the most photographed cars of of uh, the, the, the 2000s. Yeah, I mean, uh, it was probably the first known car to get an LS motor in it. Right. Yeah. And and it was on seven covers and in several TV shows and movies and and. Uh, it just brought us a lot of notoriety. And anyway, Walker had seen the car, and he was very excited about it. So I drove it down, and he wanted a Nova it, along the same lines, a, a, a restored Nova with an LS motor. Late model drivetrain? Yeah, so we built it. And uh, he he got to be pretty close with us, and, and he flew into Bristol where we delivered his car to him at our Bristol Bass Show. And that was a... Just a, a surreal moment in time because he was, you know, on top of everything at the time. And then, of course, years later, had we known, uh, you know, how that would go down, maybe things. Uh, but he was a true enthusiast. Oh, I mean, he, he just, uh, he'd sit right here right now just like we are yeah. and just be carrying on a conversation and not expecting anything different than just what we're doing right now. Mm-hmm. And like Kevin said, it was 2003. He came to our Bristol Bash uh, event there at Bristol Motor Speedway and Dragway. Spent the whole weekend with us, hung out with everybody, interacted with the crowds, drove his uh, another kind little, of guy. Little, oh yeah, little, little Chevy two that yeah. uh, we built for him. He drove that, and, and uh, he's just like a kid in the candy store when he got the keys to that. Mm-hmm. I can remember that we were on the infield yeah. there at Bristol Motor Speedway when he uh, saw his car. We unveiled it, and and uh, he was dancing around. That's cool. <laughs> well, one of my high school students has been on the show and the podcast with us uh, many times. That would be Tim Phillips, and uh, he's got a little bit of history with uh, Burt Reynolds and, uh, you know, portrays him as a younger Burt now with some, some stuff that he does on the weekends. Uh, tell us about the Smokey and the Bandit era. Well, our our involvement, um, well, naturally, the, the 77 movie was... Uh, 77, gosh. Was quite... Uh, <laughs> I wish you hadn't said that. Yeah, well, it's been a long time, hasn't it? Uh, but it was a it was a, a movie it, it, that came along after the crown jewels of the automotive era were gone, if you will. The, I believe, you know, arguably that 1969 is probably the best year of cars ever right. as far as the American muscle cars go. Just look, look you know, again, you can argue about it, but just look at every brand in 69, and they're all uniquely cool yep. and super right. wicked. Yeah. They were all identifiable, too, yeah. what they right. were. Yeah, that's and for so sure. that was gone, and then, you know, you had your 2 plus 2 Mustang or Mach, whatever they called that, going on at the time, and the uh, 77 Corvette, um, you know, you, you really... Mopars were Aspens or four-door things yeah, at that right, point. Yeah. So 77 comes along and the, you know, the truck backs up and the door opens and there's the car and, you know, the, the, the famous honey hush and, and whatever else goes on. I can't, all the gold pinstripe. Yeah. And it's, and it's and just, and the decals. It's and, just, it's like love at first sight for a lot of people. That's because again, it's an error thing. You know, when you turn 16, if you were 16 and 77, then what do you think the guy's going to want to be driving? Yep. Right. Well, if you're 11 and 77, what do you think that kid's going to want to be driving? So it's so you start to define how long people live in an error based on that, that mentality. So if you think about it, there's about a 25-year span. So anyone from, you know, that is now in their 30 five or thirty eight to fifty seven that trans am was you and so now you're coming into your discretionary money look what's happened to the 77 trans am value yeah mm-hmm. okay there's no secret when everybody wants it the price goes up sure mm-hmm. so and we like to think that we had in a positive way we had a little something to do with the resurgence in in uh, i guess 2007 Mm-hmm. Uh, for the 30-year anniversary, we we did the show Burt Builds a Bandit, and that was a five-part series. And um, we sort of took the initiative of if they were doing the movie in 2007, what might this car look like now using what's available versus what they had back then? So we kind of, when we sat down with Burt and talked about it, he was very adamant that the gold had to stay on the car, you know, and 
and uh, you know it had to have certain little key features, the T-tops, and the you know we were like, well, you know that's quintessential, but we we kind of felt like the goal was a little too. Um, I don't want to say disco, but I guess that's the best way to put it. It was very uh, period specific. So our version, what we called the Burt Reynolds Edition Trans Am, we, we, we conscientiously thought we'll make it more masculine. So mm-hmm. it'll be a little less gold, a little more tonal, a little flat tone here and there, wider wheels and tires, you know, LS7 with a hot cam, 600 plus horsepower, make this thing handle, you know, like a, a modern day car and turn it into a beast. And now it's really the bandit, you know, the smoking the bandit car. Sure, well, yeah. We always refer to it as a bandit, even though that's him. But the, uh, you know, that's just kind of the the way it is. But um, we like the car a lot when we brought our version out. And it was questionable. Some people, you know, really liked it and some people didn't. But I think the point was it was it was not to take anything away from Pontiac. Obviously, they got it right. Oh, it's sure. A, it's yeah. a huge success. And we just thought, you know, if you were going to do a movie today, you would not make it the same way, obviously. So we would take modern technology and apply our our desires to it, if you will, and you'd have this beast of a car. And then the coolest thing about it is we developed door panels, package trays, um, a double doubled in radio, the snowflake wheels. We became we we made them in wider versions and they grew in size. So instead of just 15 by seven, we went to 15, uh, 17 by nine and now 19 by nines. And we have 18 by 12 or 18 inch two piece versions of the same wheels. So there's a lot of stuff that evolved from that project that today we sell quite a bit of still. And that was really cool. And that's what we've always tried to do is bring more product to life using our own experiences where what we think is a shortcoming or where there is one. Or better yet, share with other companies that might be better at making certain things that than we are and say, you know, this is a void. And mm-hmm. if you could make it at a reasonable price, you know, we'll certainly sell it and try to make some money too because you can't make everything yourself. Right. And you need you need partners. I mean, you know, industries that that kind of rep and share together tend to win because mm. the rising tide helps everybody if you have the right attitude. Right. Yeah. Attitude de- mm-hmm. determines your altitude, right. I would say. <laughs> the business, the business of year one from where it started to where it is now and the business climate, how how have they, how has it evolved or different? I, I know the computer changes a lot of things but are people still excited um you know about their cars are they are they still excited about taking stuff apart and putting it back together what what are you seeing out there as as a climate for um today and what's coming five ten years down the line well i i think we've kind of touched on that a little bit um through various answers of other questions and it's it's a hard one to to really put your finger on because, yes, there are still obviously people that are serious automotive enthusiasts that still want to bench race and talk and and spend an incredible amount of time doing it. Um, but I think more the, the, as the torch has passed to younger people, that amount that scale of time either has completely disappeared or it's less and less. Younger folks don't want to engage you in conversation. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know how to, how else to articulate it. It's not the same. So they want to, they want to look a part up, find it, add it to a cart, buy it, and get it in three days. And that's the extent. That's of it. it. And if yeah. there's a problem, they want to send you an electronic message with an image saying this is wrong. I expect a call tag to send it back, and I'll take, uh, you know, I want a refund. Or I'll take a replacement. And that's about the extent of that that relationship. Whereas you, bud, if you called me 25 or 30 years ago and said, you know, I got this part in and it's just got this light little thing, you and I might could go, well, you know, honestly, the way it's going to fit and the way it's going to sit in there, you're never even going to notice that. So mm-hmm. it's kind of not worth the headache and the time and effort. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and you'd, you'd go, yeah, you know, that's probably true. And then you work out a, you know, a reasonable solution. But... 
these if it's not dead nuts right it's it's coming back and 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 people want you to pick up the tab for everything do do you that that's funny that you said that about it might not fit or it might we're talking about 60 50 mm-hmm. 60 70 year old cars right. right i think we've become we we expect you say the instant gratification because our honda that we drive on a daily basis all the you know, all the doors line mm-hmm. up, all the all the seams line up. That wasn't that wasn't happening in the in mm-hmm. the you know fifty, sixty, seventy years ago. No. Uh, you know, the car, no matter what parts you put on it, it's not going to fit like the new cars do right. because it's it's a different process altogether. Right. Well, you know, but you bring up a good point. You think back then, the manufacturers never envisioned that a '69 Camaro would be what it is today. They never thought they would still be around. No, no, exactly, no, no. exactly. And even to the point of when it started, the hobby started growing. They didn't want to mess with it. So if you trademark something and reproduce something of theirs, they got a royalty. Sure. Well, they didn't even want to mess with that. They hired an outside company that would take royalties or, or percentages of parts that you sold with their logo on it yeah, okay. because they just didn't want to mess with it. Nor did they want to keep up with the part numbers? How many times have we all found a part number that's gotten superseded, but if you don't have the original part number, you can't follow that superseded chain to then find out that the dealership down the street still has that part on the shelf, but they don't have a way to look it up because you're talking about a car that's 50 years old. Hmm. Oh, Lord. <laughs> You've experienced that, haven't you? Oh, yeah, many, many, many times. Yeah, and I know, Bud, you have too. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Well, gentlemen, it is it's it's been a pleasure to have you here. Like I say, you've been you've been involved in so many things, and I want to reiterate the fact that you were so involved with education, and you turned so many of my students onto cars over the over the you know twenty five thirty years that I taught. You turned them on to drag racing. You turned them on to and they had jobs. They were interns at your at your facilities uh, back in the day, and you know that you have you have no way of knowing. Uh, you know, by just looking down the street at, at young people or or people that have you know now have families and things like that, how you touch their lives, and uh, it's it's something that I'll remember that they will remember, and that's you know that's that's what keeps us all in in inside keeps us all going. Yeah, you've given us all in us enthusiasts a home that's cool. where we can all come to. We want to have a year one car show that we all know that we can gather at. So it's a meeting place for all of us. Nut. When's the next one? Well, we're working on that, actually. <laughs> but I, w- I wanted to share something with you because of, of what you just said. It reminded me of something that one of the highlights of my life, actually, with work-related issues is I, um, Phil Brewer and I um, and a couple other guys were given an opportunity to... Uh, paint an airplane, an F-18, for a retiring CAG officer. So we went to Lemoore Naval Base in California, and we laid out a Hornet on top of an F-18 Super Hornet. So we laid out a Super B pattern to paint it like a Super B, and we called it the Year One Super B. And so we we crawled all over this thing, right? And we, we, they wouldn't let us spray it because of the whatever rules they had at the base. They're legally, we couldn't get on it and spray it, but we climbed on it, stood on it everywhere and laid patterns. So we cut patterns out and this had to be blue. This was light gray. This was a little more silver tint. This was yellow. This is black. And when it was done, it was a big super bee. It looked like a flying bee. And we put our name on the side of it. And so, when the time came to fly onto the boat, we had the good privilege of of uh, going out in the port at Coronado Island, and we sailed out. It was out. an aircraft carrier, yeah, not a boat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was going to get to that. So I always call it a boat, which I, I get corrected a lot about that, but I think it's funny. So anyway, so we went out on the aircraft carrier in order to fly it, to, to film it coming on and taking pictures. But more importantly, while we were on the ship, we had a presentation to the troops that were on there's 4,600 or so yeah. at the time or something like that. And we pl- we showed the Too Fast, Too Furious movie. And we made T-shirts for everybody on board, and it said American Muscle, and it had the plane and a hot rod. 
and it commemorated the evening with the date. And so I spent the better part of three hours shaking the hands of people that had no knowledge of, of, of us that we were going to be on the boat. But they knew me, and a lot of them did, and they knew year one. And I heard over and over again the entire night exactly what you said, is that my dad had this car, and I grew up in this car in the back seat. And I think my parents took me home from the hospital in this car. And I drove my wife to our, uh, to our, uh, first dinner date in this, in my dad's car that was a so-and-so GTO. And so the youth on this boat were, were not necessarily our customer, but their parents were. And that's what, that's what it was all about. So all I could do was tell every one of them how magnificent you are for being out here doing what you do and and how proud your parents must be and never forget the passion that your dad and your mom or your uncle or whoever brought to the table when it came to this old car and remember whatever you choose to do in your life you bring the same passion and i guarantee you'll find some type of success wow that's awesome so that's pretty cool we're gonna just we're gonna end it with that those are such <laughs> words of wisdom kevin king all right but staten uh, thank you for all the memories. Thank you for all the things you've done for people over the years in ways that, you know, you can't even imagine. Thank and, you. Uh, and thanks for taking the time to be with us. Well, that's oh, awesome. That's, Have that's we got good. just one more minute? Absolutely. I'd like to Kevin to talk just a minute about what we've been able to do with our charity. Our yes, Hot please Riders do. Children's charity. Absolutely. And, and I bring that up only because the people that we've talked about today that have made all this such an exciting experience are such big-hearted people. Yes, they are. Yeah, and that's a that's a, a really good point, and I, I'm, I, I can't believe we even let it go that far without bringing that up. Um, the 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 children's charity thing was something that I guess I, I can't remember. It was maybe ten or twelve years ago. I I I thought kids have always been a big deal to me, and and I I have some children in my life that are. Uh, that are ill and uh it's a it's a it's something that that if you have children that are sick in your life everyone deals with it differently for me it's sort of internalizing thing i, can, I it's hard for me to articulate or talk about so um I, I'm, y- y- we started the hot rodders children's charity and it was born out of the needs of of children in people that we know in our industry that might have kids that have needs or or um, specific events that may occur where we we could probably step in and say, you know what, this community could use some help. And so one of our first ever experiences, believe it or not, was a hurricane. And we sent uh, a, a, a notice out to all our database and said, you know, we're raising money for, for uh, children's needs, whether it be diapers, seat covers, or food, whatever the case may be, and, man, they gave money hand over fist at checkout of every order they placed, or they just call you up and say, yeah, I want to give 25 or 50 or 100 bucks, and it was insane just simply saying kids. And so the children's charity was born because it wasn't year one or it wasn't this company. It was just the Hot Rodders children's charity because it's just like the word says. If you're, if you're a hot rodder, you're part of something. And so by creating the Hot Rodders Children's Charity, it didn't matter if you didn't like year one or you don't like brand X. The fact is you're an automotive enthusiast. So we we built a synergy around children to ask for assistance from time to time. And so uh, it's been a real huge success for the last uh, 12 or 13 years, and we're very proud of it. And now I think is it the battered women's shelters or, or well, various shelters? there's about shelters? seven different shelters throughout yeah. the United States that, that we mm-hmm. provide car seats to. Yeah. And on an annual basis, it's two to 300 car seats. Among we, other things. We provide still, to sure. needy moms that mm-hmm. uh, are going through uh, difficult times. Once they go through a birthing program, we right. send them out a complimentary car seat. And it's, yeah. it's not just the mom. It's like if, if you're a young person and you've you've ended up, uh, y'all, uh, you've ended up in a relationship where you're, you're, someone's pregnant. You can't leave a hospital without a car seat. So if they're willing to dedicate their time to go through a program that we can help facilitate, then when they graduate, there's a free car seat for them. 
and the center vets it all and so that we're not you know i never wanted to be trying to figure out if this person was telling me the truth or not so we just let the centers do all that so we'll get a list and say they need eight seats because we got eight graduates and pad arranges and the stuff gets sent straight to them and everybody gets a car seat wow but uh, also, too, you know, there's lots of people that uh, have large notorieties in the automotive industry that are big helpers and supporters, mm-hmm. i.e. Chip Foose. How many years has he been coming to our yeah. uh, event every, every year, year to help started, uh, yeah. support the Hot Riders yeah. Children's Charity? And, so and f- be it Foose, Bud Brutzman, Courtney Hansen, uh, Chris Jacobs, um, I mean, I'm going to yeah. forget somebody. I know I hate to start naming names, but <laughs> it, Goldberg. I mean, there, there's been so many people that come yeah. and still support yeah. it, and sure, they always sure. do. Yeah. Richard, it's, Richard Petty, for kids. instance. Yeah. Yeah. Can't you remember Richard Petty drove oh, yeah. the clone That's Superbird right. up on the, the uh, auction At the for the Daryl Gwynn Foundation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have the Daryl Gwynn Foundation mm-hmm. listed and mm-hmm. the Progeria uh, Research Foundation. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't even know what that was until I met Chip right. and, and heard his story. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that, that, that is another outreach of yours, you right. know, that is just, has just touched lives of so many people, uh, you know, across the nation, across the world. Um, great stuff. Thank you. Anything we haven't asked you? I'm glad Pat brought up the, the foundations and such. I am too. But, yeah. And I'll just take a moment and tell you, thank you for having us. It's been a wonderful pleasure. And, um, you know, if we can help you in any way, never never hesitate to call. We're going to have you come back. How's Sounds that? good. Because uh, we just, uh, we're just just old knuckle-dragger car guys. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin and I are going to ride back and think, gee, we didn't mention this, we didn't mention yeah, this. Yeah, I do mention that all this. the time. I do that all the time. I'll tell you what, take notes. You're the note taker. <laughs> Kevin, you talk on the way back. You take notes, and we'll just set up another time and do it all over. Well, well, I, I brought a list of parts that are on back order. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Get out of here. Come on, Get Tim, ride back with us. <laughs> right. okay. Guys, thank you again. It's, yeah. it's been an honor, and thank you for all the things you guys do to make this a part of the bigger circle that we all get to enjoy in the industry and the hobby. Well, you're welcome, and I hope we can keep it going for many, many years until we're all flying around in a Jetson car or something. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to hang out in the mountains. Okay, that works, too. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. Tim, I'm going to spring a brainstorm on you. Okay. <laughs> Early, earlier in the show, we were talking about year one. Right. And their uh, crate engines you can buy. they mm-hmm. got a cast iron engine, uh, cast iron head engine. They've got an aluminum head engine. Uh, very reasonably priced. Right. You know what I'm thinking? I know what you're thinking. I'm, I'm going to get one of these engines, and then uh-huh. I'm going to go to our buddies at Concept One. Right. And spec out a pulley system with it. Oh, yeah. Because these, these are a long, well, you know, the engines that year one has is, are long blocks. Mm-hmm. But then you go to Concept One, you can get the AC compressor, you can get the alternator, you can get the water pump, you can get all of that in a package, and it looks beautiful. Oh, yeah. And it's a serpentine belt system, and, you know, you're ready to rock and roll. It's made to fit that engine. There's no extra additional no. fabricating to do. You don't have to scrounge to junkyards and all right. that kind of stuff. You get your power steering pump, you know, get get all of it, mm. and then you can spec it out to your car. You can put the alternator if, you know, you're putting in a massive sound system or right. you're fuel injecting it or something like that because the engine is a carbureted-type manifold, but you could put a, a Holley... Uh, yeah, sniper. Uh, sniper on it. Mm-hmm. And so you might want to amp up the alternator, no pun intended, a little bit, uh-huh. uh, to you know provide the power for that. Right. Uh, your power steering, depending on what kind of, uh, whether you're using rack and pinion or parallelogram steering or whatever it might be on it, you know, you could you could spec that out, your yeah. AC unit, and, you know. And then you're all set. You you're get everything set. together. You're, and then, you're, and you're all one, set for under ten grand for yeah. the engine and the pulley system. And in one weekend, you can put it all together, and it'll yeah. work. Yeah. Shoot, Check out be. the things that they got. When you call up Concept One in Cumming, Georgia, you are talking to the guys running the CNC machines, mm-hmm. the guys that have gone to school and spec this stuff out and, and learn how to run these machines and design the system. They've been doing this for years. Uh, it's Randy and Kevin Red. And their dad works there with them, and they built some fantastic things. And if you've got an idea for something that's a little out of the ordinary and they've got experience with it, they'll help you out. Oh, you know, yeah. I go in there and I see 
engine blocks with blowers on them and stuff like that, where I know mm-hmm. they're eh, they're they're helping somebody out with something. And, right. Uh, they they've got some interesting things that are coming down the line that we'll talk about at a later date. That would be a tease. But for now, check them out at conceptonepulleysystems.com. Okay. All right, Tim, I don't remember whether it was on our radio show or the podcast, but you got wound up about this, uh, what was the Vietnamese? Uh, VinFast. VinFast. And I, I, I got another, of that. I got an update for you on that. Oh, okay. VinFast has now surpassed $192 billion as their uh, value. $192 billion. Ford is at $47 billion. GM's at $45 billion. VinFast is 192 billion. They have produced, they have sold 470 vehicles in America as of June of this year. Where? And they were all recalled, and they were uh, by automotive testers claim that they are the worst driving cars they've ever been inside. Where have they sold them? Um, Where are the dealerships? Let me guess. <laughs> California. California. (laughs) So, you know, it's here again. This is, is it the next Tesla? I doubt it. All right. Well, tell us about uh, our president, uh, Biden, predicted two years ago that the U.S., with the help of electric bus manufacturing, uh, manufacturer Proterra, would end up owning the future. Yes. Uh, Tell us about the Magic Bus. Well, the Magic Bus bus. is the third electric vehicle manufacturer in just over a year to file for bankruptcy. Um, Its failure is yet another warning of the perils of government-driven investment. They went public during the pandemic, and here again, just like VinFast, they used a special-purpose acquisition company to glom on to to actually do a uh, public offering in the stock market. So since 2004, they have produced 550 buses. Um, they've raised $650 million in public offerings, more than three times their annual revenue. They, the flashing red lights came from the beginning because they had a history of defective manufacturing and costly repairs, including cracked wheel wells, uh, laminate cracks near the door bus frames. They had a a, a recall issue related to the component that could compromise the steering. Why would you not, you know, buy buses from a bus company and then put your your innards in them instead of trying to, you know, reinvent the wheel here? Uh, because it's government money, it's free money, bud. It's it's all government subsidized. Well, forty thousand per vehicle tax credit mm-hmm. for purchasing an electric commercial vehicle yeah. is one thing. Right. And and it was on top of some six point five billion dollars in grants. Mm-hmm. See, there you go. Six point five billion dollars in grants. That winds up being. I don't know how much in individual people's pockets, and that's what drives this whole machine. So they ran into financial problems as inflation and higher interest rates increased the cost, but they were not able to pass on those costs to the government customers after contracts had been signed. And further, because Buy America requirements were tied to the public grants, it limited their ability to to uh, purchase assemblies from outside the U.S., which may have been cheaper. So, you know, what's, what's one of these buses cost? It doesn't really matter because we're all buying one. Right. Is what it's it comes exactly down to. right. It's exactly right. You know, I, I don't think in this whole article it says how much these buses do cost. Well, I remember we did a thing on uh, on a local school system here that was paying twice what a diesel bus costs. Right. Uh, plus right. buying a right, right. hundred or two hundred thousand dollar mm-hmm. charger. Well, I know on the electric diesel trucks, you know, the Class 8 commercial trucks, tractor trailers, the prices are double when they're, they're now approaching between four and $500,000 per unit, per unit. I mean, that kind of... Well, we're, you know, we're, we're an automotive show, okay? Yeah. And, and sometimes you and I get tired of talking about the EVs and the mm-hmm. batteries and all that stuff because mm-hmm. we're knuckle-dragger, you know, car right. guys. Right. And, but... 
folks, you need to pay attention to this stuff. This is not a, a, a you know, this is not a free ticket. The all these 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 benefits you get, these tax breaks, these mm-hmm. grants. It's not on a money tree. It's coming out of your back pocket. Yes. And and the prices are going to go up on these things because as these companies fail, uh, this this money is not there. It's been spent already. And, right. You know, it's just it's just an endless. Circle. And when they find that these businesses are not profitable, they will either have to shut them down, or if they want to keep them afloat, they will have to provide more subsidy money from our tax dollars. And you know, then then it comes out of our back pocket again. Right. All well, right. it's out of our grandchildren's back pocket at this point. Thirty-two trillion dollars in debt. I don't oh, see wow. how we're ever going to get out of debt. Well. Uh, not 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 to be a, a downer as far as the subject matter goes, mm-hmm. but pay attention because this, you know, this this is not a cure all for anything. No, and it's tied. It is tied to everything else as far as the the monies and the money trails and stuff like that. It's all tied to bills that are in, you know, in the house and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I get this if you get this, and you know. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Everyone's profiting and benefiting except the American people. Mm. Time to get out the vote. Amen, brother. All right. Well, Tim, thank you, Zara in Order. Let's thank Jacobs Media for the facilities here to record this podcast every week and give us the type of quality sound that we're looking for every time we get behind the mics. And, right. And DJ Bill for making the knobs work. Um, and we're called DJ because... Because of my work with DJ Trivia, available at a venue near you. Play trivia family-friendly Monday through Sunday through Thursday. Check our website, djtrivia.com, and if you're in the North Georgia area, definitely come out, and I'll actually be hosting the games for you. All right. We'd also like to thank folks at uh, Concept One Pulley Systems, Lanier Technical College, and Year One. Uh, Kevin, of course, Pat, were with us uh, again today, and uh, they're with us all the time with our projects that we're doing. Oh, yeah. helping us out. Constantly. They have great car shows going on. You know, mm-hmm. Check out all the things that are going on at Year One. Uh, dot com and you'll, you'll you know you'll be a part of something bigger than you and you'll you enjoy yourself these guys are passionate about the muscle car absolutely so also like to thank marvin matson if you can't get enough of this informative automotive buffoonery and you want to tune into terrestrial radio on saturdays at noon uh do that at wdun am 550 or fm 102.9 you can go to something called the axis wdun uh app and you can listen to bud's garage anytime you want on uh, on that app or you can pick us up on whatever you're listening to right now as far as getting our podcast so you can get a whole bunch of informative automotive buffoonery whenever you need it sure until then remember to keep between the ditches shiny side up we'll see you next week right here bud's garage overdrive podcast have a great week